Hi, and welcome to Unapologetic Women, a podcast about current affairs, culture, politics, life, and how we got here. Brought to you by Tony and Saoirse. Hello. I'm, by the way, I'm drinking for the first time. Actually, I should, that's, there you go. That's the story. Hey, (laughs) really riveting. (laughs) I'm drinking for the first time alcohol-free gin. It's very bizarre. Ooh. See, I wouldn't pick that, mainly because I don't like gin. Well, yes. But like, If you don't like it, you're not going to pick the non-alcohol version just to get the taste. That's what I mean. Like, But also, <laughs> is there other alcohol? Like, I wouldn't necessarily want to drink a whiskey or a vodka that wasn't those things. You know what I mean? It's okay. Okay. It's... Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to do it again. It's bizarre. Anywho. That's me. I had a cup of tea. Very good. Salt. (laughs) (laughs) With tea. Uh, With real tea. (laughs) With real Um, tea. Real tea, yeah. But we are talking today about femtech. I feel like it's something that I'm surprised we haven't talked about already. Say more about that. Why? I don't know. I just feel like you and I, we often talk about these topics, whatever that may be, pretty openly. We have very few taboos between us. Mm -hmm. We're very much focused on tech. And for me, every time I talk about femtech, I always automatically think, oh, data, data privacy, healthcare records. So I'm just surprised that we've never talked about it. And I know you brought it up. So I'm curious why it was top of mind for you. Yeah, like I think what you just described there of, I'll call it my own blind spot. Like I have a very Mm -hmm. niche thing or niche area of things that I'm interested in that I know a lot about politics, tech, the intersection yeah. of those two things, right? Like I, I feel very strong and clear about that. I don't, however, feel very clear on the landscape of tech designed for women by women. And it really just like perked my interest because I actually downloaded one of their apps that live in this space of, of femtech. And you could tell just based on the user experience that it was designed with me and people like me in mind. Oh, interesting. Um, and so I think that's why I brought that up to you. Of like, we, this space, like, we should talk about it. What does it mean? Why have I not, as someone, a person who is in tech every day, why has it not crossed my radar so intentionally before? And literally, it was like earlier this year. Like, I'm 2021. I've worked in tech for f- the last six years. Like, why not? You know why it's not crossed our, your radar before? I'm going to, like, this is very pedantic of me, yeah, but... You work in a male-dominated industry, politics and tech. And that's what I mean, like the, the femtech spe- space is such a, it's, you talk about, you talk to women who try to create anything in the femtech space four or five years ago, and they would say it was really hard to get anything off the ground because as women trying to get venture capital back, you know, be, get backed by venture capitalists who are all men on the other side of the table, they had a really hard time. And then all of a sudden femtech has become extremely popular and it's like a name that people are attaching a lot of things to because the men who are giving out the money, sadly, are now seeing that there's value in, in into it. But that's I know that that's for me, having worked in tech and politics. It's just, who are the people that I would talk to this about? They were all men. I wasn't surrounded by enough women in that space. You disagree? No, I don't disagree. I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm like mad. <laughs> uh, which it, which is, ira- is irrational. Why? Maybe probably not. What are you mad at? I'm, 
I think I'm mad at myself for not having wanted to investigate or dig into the idea that technology technology made by women could actually be better for everyone, not just the categories that are uh, identified in femtech. Yeah. And I know that there are hundreds, if not thousands of organizations that focus on women in STEM, that focus on women engineers and coding. And I, I, I know that there is like amazing work out there. I just don't have a pulse on it the same way I do in the other areas. And I think there's just a sense of, I, th- I think a sense of anger at myself for not actually going in and doing research and understanding more about why this space was created and the barriers mm. that they were trying to pull down. And it's crazy when you think of it, this is, you can't get a bigger market than this. It's basically 50% of the population. Well, and there was a stat in an article I read when doing some research on this that said by 2025, the estimated revenue of this market is 50.4 billion. billion. Yeah. Um, Frost and Sullivan, 2018 report. There you go. (laughs) Doing the same research, obviously. (laughs) If you didn't know, listeners, we like to research things that we talk about. And Tony and I do the same research without telling each other. In a vision. What okay, so actually let's take a step back before we dive in. What is your definition based on the research that you've done, but also maybe what is the definition that you had prior to doing the research of what do you what do you consider femtech? And were there any things that you were just like, oh, I had no idea that that actually could sit under femtech? My definition prior to research was that it are technology projects that are aimed at women. Like that was my very baseline understanding. After doing research, I'm I have a clear understanding that it encompasses the health industry for women. So things like period monitor tracking, fertility tracking, um, just general women's health applications. Then there is the bucket of like wellness. And so focused on mental health, focused on like your own sexual activity, focused on problems that specifically impact women from a mental health aspect. And then there is a whole bucket that I just wasn't aware was kind of inclusive in this femtech category, which is like women's pleasure and the idea of uh, like sex toys that actually now have technology behind them as a part of femtech and and Mm. sexual, just like sexual pleasure and the ability to categorize that within technology specifically designed for women. So that is now my understanding of it. And I think the other thing we have to give credit here, right, is it was coined in 2016 by one of the founders of the largest, I would say. Clue. Clue. Yes. Ida Tin. <laughs> that I'm saying, that I'm saying. But here's the, but did you know this, Sasha? And you might, because we've clearly done the same research. Tell me. Guess what nationality the woman is. She's German, right? Or she's based in Berlin. Close enough. Danish. And I read that and I was like, of course she's fucking Danish. Like, of course she is. Like, that's the country with the best maternity leave policies. That's the country with the best understanding of women's health care. Mm. Um, in my idea, anyway, I could be wrong, but they are definitely up there in one of the best countries in terms of... And I was like, of course she's Danish. So when I saw that, I was just like, of course of course she's European, yes. first of all. 100%. Of course. And then I was like, ah, she's fucking Danish. Of course, of course she is. Wow. Like, it makes total sense. It does. Which is so fascinating because Europe has always been ahead of the curve in the US when it comes to taboo categories. That is not me endorsing that femtech is a taboo category because it's absolutely not. 
but to unfortunately to the general population and probably you know five years seven years eight years ago it absolutely was taboo to talk about women's pleasure and applications that lily allen has come out as a massive ambassador for a like sex toy for women Uh, celeste barber just got a delivery of it the other day like it's now becoming a normal thing to talk about and like celeste barber who has apparently gotten more reviews on this show than I ever imagined I would love the woman (laughs) but she like she did a whole like unboxing of this vibrator and you know was like be back on in a couple of hours let you know and I was just like I love you like you're putting humor into this once like no women don't do that that is that's not allowed women aren't allowed to do that and so I'm excited by this construct of all of all of those things I just described that to me it houses after research, as well as this like unearthing of women are allowed to be beings and also have a category of their own when it comes to investing. So I think that's the other piece that the construct of femtech opened up was the ability for there to be a category to walk into a room with. What about, so it was interesting what, uh, oh, we've obviously done similar research. I was looking through this and I know I had, I, I started Googling like femtech critiques and mm. critics and it was interesting what came up of just one of the common critiques or criticism that came up was these femtech products would inc- would encourage pink tax, uh, which is this yeah. phenomenon of this phenomenon that's uh, attributed to sort of gender based um, price discrimination. Like you can buy a razor and it's pink, so it's going to be double the price and tampons are extremely expensive and you name Seriously. it. Also one of, the, which I was just like, I can get that. And I think about that. And then I think about things like the wing, um, membership-based club that wasn't actually that much more expensive than membership clubs, but was still a pretty hefty price. And it was just like, oh, okay, so if we want to have a safe environment where we can go and grab a shower and grab a cup of coffee and work, I have to pay, I have to pay like a, you know, a hefty price. So there was something interesting with me with the femtech of, oh, is this going to be just another opportunity to market to women and tell them that they need to spend more on these gadgets and gizmos? Mm. Um, which I kind of just like, yeah, I get it. But maybe I'm in a privileged position that I didn't see that um, that critique too much. But there was one that did stand um, that was interesting to me is this idea that it, um, we spoke about trans rights last time we spoke and it was this very thing of like well it can feel very exclusive and you're excluding a whole population or whole segment that might not feel attached to femtech if you are a trans person going through any kind of transition Mm. you might not be able to position yourself which again is just something to be conscious of but then there was someone who's saying well where's the men tech like if you've got femtech do we need to have men tech which deep breath (laughs) Deep breaths, which angered me. But then, Saoirse, it reminded me of the book that I read, For the Love of Ah, Men, by Liz Plank, where there's an interesting phenomenon here, which I'm loving, which to your point, taboos are breaking down. We're in a space where it's now more comfortable and allowed for us to talk about period and period pains and menopause and post-childbirth, like all the trauma that goes with that. And I do have to acknowledge that there still really is no space for men to talk about their mental health, to talk about the things that they need, because still today we're holding on to that belief that men need to be stronger, men should just bottle it up. So there was something that I just wanted to acknowledge, which I thought was interesting when I was reading through the critiques, because I had the same reaction as you, are you fucking kidding me? Men, like, can't women just have one thing? But then it is true, like, I'm excited for this whole, I want to say, era where women can open up and it's about fucking bloody time. 
but it did leave me thinking about what all the things that men go through, like the number of men that queeze when I talk to them about a colonoscopy. And I'm very comfortable with that because my mum passed away with cancer when I was 11. And for since I was 20, every three, five years, I go and have a colonoscopy. You know, my dad jokes that I will have more colonoscopies um, by the age <laughs> of 40 than he will ever have in his own lifetime. <laughs> but you talk to men about colonoscopy and they queeze. And so I'm just like, where's the space for men to open up about that? Um, you know, those similar conversations that we are starting to have. And maybe it's another five, ten years. And maybe out, it already but... exists and we don't know. Oh, I like that. I'd like to think that. Right? Yeah. Like... But then it's like, when does it become okay? Like, again, femtech. Should men be talking about femtech too? Like, should men be aware of these things that women go through? Or do you still think it's something that just as long as women are aware of it, then that's enough? I think everyone who wants to be aware should be aware. I think there is a a small sect of society that will like do some research and want to learn more about whether or not femtech is the right thing or if there should be a gender neutral component to this or should there be a man only woman only world i i do think i differ from from what you're saying there tony aren't just like i'm pulling this number out of my ass but it's based on my personal experience i would say 90 percent of technology is designed with men in mind and so no fuck yeah White men, actually. It's designed with white American men in mind. We should preface that 100%. So so no, they don't need their own industry within VC bubbles. Because like, they have that the to me industry. was the, They have it, right? So like, and that was my biggest takeaway of like why femtech or why I found femtech and the idea of creating a category was so powerful for women is that you can walk into a room to what you're talking about, right? With this queasy like... You walk in to pitch to a room full of white men who are tend to be the VCs to say, hey, I've got a really great idea of how we can change fertility for women. You know when you get really bad period cramps? No, because no one in the room can relate to it. This to me was groundbreaking in this idea of like, okay, now there's a there's a category. So we figured out a way to speak to these men in a way that they can understand so that we can now continue to move forward and have progress in this industry to help women in whatever way that is. Yes, and isn't it fucking wild that we need buzzwords and the hype to get the interest of these men, for them to understand that it's a, a potential $50 billion industry. And I'm just like, and this is a perfect example actually when hype is maybe good. This is when you use the hype. Like yeah. you, there's, um, yeah, there's a book that's written about hype that I've just found fascinating as well. But this maybe this is one of those instances where it's like, okay, fuck it, let's use the hype to our advantage. Like, let's. And I know we talked about the hype, um, God, in think, two seasons yeah, ago or whenever it was. Ago. Right? Like, the hype sometimes is is appropriate to allow for something to propel. That does not mean that the hype is the only thing because there's been a lot of groundwork that's gone into this idea of how do we create an industry and a category that allow female products to excel. And like just in a couple of the different pieces I read, the like there are VCs right now that are like taking out full portfolios in femtech. Like they have a desire to put it into their portfolio, their spending and increasing it and are resourcing it. If, that, if this wasn't an industry or a category within that, you just wouldn't see that in the VC world. And that gets me really excited. So to your, so in our, one of my questions I was gonna have for you is then femtech, a fad or necessary? Necessary. And I think an unfortunate 
necessary in that it needed to be defined as a category so that there could be there could be beacons for folks that, like it's like the beginning of the glass sheet the glass ceiling shattering right like it's like that itching away and i think clue being the big one who is now approved by the fda to launch digital contraception which wild actually blows my mind like the idea that the innovation that will be able to take place because of it i think is just phenomenal innovation and accessibility like it is why you talk about contraception and as uh i'm gonna just call myself like a a digital nomad as someone who started using the contraceptive pill when i was in belgium and then i moved to paris and then i moved to london and I still went back to Belgium to my gynecologist, who was also the gynecologist that my mum used. So she knows our medical history and she knows what to look, you know, what to look out for in my. And it's also like it's I don't think men understand how deeply of a personal, weird, fucked up experience it is to like lie on a chair, put your legs in the air and have someone poke down, you know, poke at you down there. Um, so if you can avoid changing, you avoid changing. Anyway, so I kept her while I was in Europe and then I moved to America and I was like, well, that's not going to be fucking possible. I can't get in a train and be two hours later being back in Belgium and see my family and go and see my gynecologist. And it was, and so it was less awkward for me to ask my dad <laughs> to go and see my gynecologist to pick up my prescription that I had gotten on the phone with her and talked to her about. And he then went on his next visit to America, like took my contraband contraceptive pills all the way to America and just and then hand them out. That for me was just less, felt less of a hassle and more convenient than finding a gynecologist in America who whenever I ask women in America, how did you find a gynecologist that you like and trust? I was told to check out Yelp. I'm not fucking finding my gynecologist on Yelp not okay to me and i know it's a difference of culture that in america everything is found on yelp yeah but yelp is not the public platform i want to go and find but that that's the same for all doctors or how i found that's my experience of that is like oh you're getting a new uh whatever like whether it's your primary enter in my bullshit with my knee like oh you better check the reviews first i'm like the review the doctor the person no no i trust that this do- he's a doctor she is a doctor i believe that they no you really want to check the no. reviews because then you'll be able to see their bedside and i my personal opinion on reviews and i think this is maybe just because i don't do them but it is very rare that someone leaves a review that is rewarding versus a negative review because they've had a bad experience and so inherently, it is going to be biased or skewed in that direction of negativity because that's how the review process unfortunately works. So when we talk about all of the innovation and the lowering the barrier to entry and like, you know, shattering the taboos, um, were there any, as you were doing some digging into femtech, were there any taboos that were shattered for you that you were just like I all of a sudden because I've seen this and I've seen women talk about it that you're just like I feel more comfortable like I feel more informed and I feel more able to go out there and have a conversation or do you actually even see it like potentially down the line Um, and I can speak for myself like I was looking at a couple of these apps and realizing shit like you know women who give birth go for a fuck like a lot like whatever it is like you know don't know how to breastfeed, my kid's not latching. And I had this moment of, I actually feel so fortunate that I live in an era where there are all of these apps and all of these communities of women 
that can support you to say, it's not you, it's normal. Six out of 10 women, like these are the stats I'd wish I'd known. Like it's six out of 10 women have this. You're all good, there's, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. Um, and again, I not not um, not gonna give birth anytime soon. Um, but I, I felt a sense of calm that I was just like, that's cool, mm. like that. I don't know if anything surprised me. Like I, I've always been a like unnecessarily open person when it comes to these types of things, and will. Oh, I would not unnecessarily. Yeah, uh, there are definitely times where I know it's not appropriate to open my mouth, but I do it just to piss <laughs> someone off. <laughs> For those of you okay. listening who are that person, apologies. Um, and like I, I mean that in a jovial manner, like when I can see someone is uncomfortable, I tend to try, that's just my nature as like, let me make it more uncomfortable for like, not you so that I can, you know, like that's just, um, but I will say the thing that this space has existed for years, years and years and years, maybe even decades. However, it was coined in 2016. And so that piece for me was really interesting to kind of dig into this conversation and there were a number of different articles of back and forth of like you know coining the term of femtech is fantastic however this space has existed these women have been pioneering like great glad we have you know everything we talked about in terms of that category but that was really fascinating to me of this idea of just because it now has a category we cannot forget the years and years of work and the people who were in that space before there was this like polished version of it that was you know ready to be branded for lack of a better word um that I think was really surprising and then the other just the whole wing that I just wasn't aware of until I started researching of female pleasure and this idea of allowing it to be so accessible and glorified in many ways and that I think was surprising yeah like I will you know, it's not every, and I'm going to bring up the most random person that I follow on Instagram. Um, this woman's name, a turtleneck creek, turtleneck, yeah, turtleneck creek. Anyway, I went down a rabbit hole with this woman because she is the most, she makes her house look fantastic when it comes to decorations. She does like, she did a whole gingerbread house for Christmas. Anyway, found her. She is a like Mormon, practicing Mormon, has like 12 children, like just a very lovely, joyful account. And she did a video, but in the background, her dildo was just like on the bedside table and she just owned it and like did a swipe up to be like, you can get it here. Like it's really fun. Like, and it just brought me so much joy yeah. that this woman who like her whole account is like religion and family and like, and she was like, yes, I'm a woman and I have needs. Like, what is your problem? I gave birth to five children. Like I can do whatever I want to do with my body. And I was like, I love you. And to see that from a woman who I just absolutely wouldn't expect it from just brought me deep, deep joy. Like. <laughs> There's something about that's happening right now, to your point, like the idea that there's the femtech industry, the idea that there's like um, a whole industry that is being created, the fact that there's a name attached to it, the fact that it's allowed for venture capitalists, 
venture capitalists, sorry, to see the benefit of it, coupled with the likes of TikTok and social media and all of these platforms that basically give you a gateway into other people's lives. And there's a couple of videos on TikTok that similarly brought me enormous joy. One was one guy going, uh, my girlfriend stayed over, left her knickers and there's something like weird color in her knickers. And he got destroyed online where everyone was like, you fucking moron? Yes, women discharge. Like, can like, like educate, like the, the kid got, and because he humiliated her, he basically pulled it up and go, this is disgusting. And it was just, I don't condone, although in this case, like he deserved yeah. it, but it was more of the kid has no fucking idea. And so there's a whole slew of women who've been filming, teaching their boyfriends what things are. And you and I talked about this, of they gave, they were asking their boyfriends, you know, women's pads, the, the wings on the side, what do they stick to? Eight out of 10 of these dudes thought the, 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 the sides, the wings stuck to your inner legs. Just imagine how uncomfortable that would be. But eight of them were just like, yeah, I imagine you just stick, like you pull them up and you stick them to the inside of your thighs. In what Also for anyone world? who's ever chafed in their entire life, they would last for about three seconds. But that was fun. And you could just see the guys going, oh, that makes them. But that could have never, I could have never seen myself have that conversation with my boyfriend when I was 15, 15, oh God, 10, no. 15 years ago. There were girls explaining to dudes who just like, yeah, tampons, they're tiny. And they were like, okay, let me show you. They had the bottle of water open, took out the tampon, dipped it into the top of the water. The tampon obviously like bloats up completely. And then they yank it out. And you can see all the guys going, oh, are you kidding me? This is what you go. It's like, yeah, this is what we go for once a month for five days if we're lucky, sometimes more. And they, you could just see their face, but it turned into such an open, honest, transparent conversation that led to these guys going, holy shit. A, I had no idea. How the fuck could I not be aware yeah. of this? B, wow, respect. I'm so sorry. C, to some guys going, I'm sorry. I'm just going to carry tampons now. I never in my youth met a dude who had tampons in his bathroom. No. Ever. It's not, because it's not their problem. But Tony, what you're talking about there, and we always come back to this, is lack of education. Completely. Complete lack of education for what, and, and I will hold my hands up, I probably have that same lack of education for men. And like, yeah. I definitely have that lack of education for people who are transitioning genders. Like, I, I don't know what that means or what they will call it common health issues that arise and mm. I always ask the question, whose responsibility is it to educate on that? Like I remember as a child in London going through sex ed, uh, right? And yeah. I was in an all girls school. And so it was way less uncomfortable than it would have been if I was in a school with both boys and girls. But it what like, we, you know, we obviously were all women. So we were taught about female bodies and what it meant to have sex and how that would then create life. And I don't ever really remember there being a session on periods or on the fact that you will lose hair after you give birth potentially, or that like all of those other areas. And, you know, maybe as children, they don't need to know every single thing in the box, but like what's the accessible education to adults? So you've hit the nail on the head for something that's been top of mind for me, which is how much is too much information and how much information is the information that you need to know. And and I think I'm erring more on the side of I want to know it all mm. because I want to be able, not just be able to be prepared, but I also then know that it's not me and I don't need to worry. Like it takes a whole level out of 
when I got I got sick when I was in when was it when I was in Paris um and it was sex related um it's a weird thing to say but it is and I remember having to explain to my still I was just like my husband now husband was like there's something wrong with you I'm picking you up and I'm literally carrying you across the street to the hospital which he did um and I arrived there and the guy told me, oh, yes, you've got you know, you've got a kiss. It's a thing that happens. And it was a very specific thing. But he says most a lot of women go through their life and have this. But the problem is you didn't take care of it because you were too. I, I was like, it's fine. It's weird. I'm not just going to rock up to a hospital or to a doctor to talk about my vagina. It's just not a thing that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, it'll disappear. It'll sort itself out. He said, you've waited too long that we're going to have to operate. And I remember having to call my dad and tell me. I, and I remember the words. He's like, what's wrong? I was like. I've got something called um, Bartolinit. I don't even know how you say it in English. Bartolin, I think. And he's like, what's that? And I was like, I don't know. I They're going to operate on my vagina. They're going to cut my vagina open. And my dad was like, uh, uh, okay, do you, uh, 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 what? And I remember him like going to his group because he was a single dad. He had a lot of female friends that often came and helped me for all the stages of my life. And I remember him like bringing them all together and go, every single one of you, I need your honest opinion. Who's ever heard of this? And nearly all the women put their hand up and said, yep, it's happened to me. I've had this. And I was like, how have I gotten to the age of 21 and had never heard of this thing? And all the women in that room said the same thing to my dad, which is I didn't know about it until I had to get something done. Till my gynecologist. And I was like, this is insane. This is absolutely fucking insane. If had I have known that six out of ten women have this, I would have known what to look out for. I wouldn't stay there, you know, two three days hoping it would get better. Mm. Um, so there's something that I really like in what you've said of just like the education piece, who's responsible, and I also love that it was my husband, yeah. then boyfriend, who's like, no, I'm taking you to a doctor. This is I know women enough, and I was like, oh, you cocky bastard. But he's like, I know it, women enough to know that that is not normal yeah. like there's some and it was just so interesting that he's always actually known more than I have in this space well and I don't know why what you're saying to me right now is triggering this but do you remember Jade Goody yes right like it took her dying of ovarian cancer for there to be the push there was right for people to get smear tests and for women to start to to exactly what you're saying to start to say oh if something's uncomfortable down there it's okay to talk about it but it took that woman's death for that to start to be a real conversation and then taken seriously by lawmakers to then start to put things in place within the nhs of letters that go out reminded all of that right like yeah but there is something there on the there's like a dramatic event or dramatic shift that must take place for it to start to get acknowledged by the general populace and therefore policymakers who can actually enact some type of change. And like the other thing that screams to me right now is female leadership, right? New Zealand. Mm -hmm. New Zealand is the first country in the world to start providing tampons, like basic women's health for free it, like how how has that not been a thing prior to that how has it taken for there to be a female president or prime minister sorry for that to be a part of the national dialogue and conversation around no no everyone should have access to this it shouldn't matter if you don't have a job you should still be able to care for yourself medically whether you have a job or not you're still going to get your period exactly i've realized that i've never actually questioned myself this but as a woman how much am I spending a month on the essentials that I need? Mm. Whether that's medication when my period 
is pay, you know, when my periods are really painful, the hot, cold patches I buy, the actual, you know, pills that I take, tampons, tampax that I use, it, it fucking adds up. Oh, yeah. And sure, men have a few things that they need, but nowhere near as what women actually need to take care of themselves on a monthly basis. I will never, ever forget this. There was a guy that I was in my social bubble at uni and he lived in a household with four women and he was really drunk one night and he started going on a rant about the fact that girls use more toilet paper than boys just because of their body. So he felt that he did not need to contribute financially to the toilet paper in the household. That killed me a lot inside. And what you are saying right there, we already have a laundry list of things that are compulsory for us to... And we make less. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a... You notice how I said in my my social friends. Uh, Yes. Oh, what an interesting young man. You were saying previously about like it took Jane Goody, it took like a celebrity or someone really famous to open up that discussion. When I was at Nation Builder, we organized an event in London with a woman called Caroline Criado Perez, Mm -hmm. who recently wrote a book called Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. And she talks a lot about the gender data gap, which I think is just fascinating. And she says it's fostered a pattern of systemic discrimination that have left women chronically misunderstood, mistreated and misdiagnosed which is so fucking powerful. But I go back to not only do we need more public discourse for us to feel good and to break down the taboo, we actually need more public discourse so that that all of that data gets collected. My mum passed away of colon cancer and it was very rare for women under the age of 30. First of all, very rare for women, but very rare for women under the age of 30. And she just wasn't diagnosed. They refused to believe that anything was wrong with her. And so that was the constant thing where she was like, no, I know my body. I, she would keep on going to the doctors until it was too late. And they went, oh, whoops, sorry, we just misdiagnosed you. And so there's something there to your point about mm. it's not just having the discourse so that more of us are aware that these things happen and we feel more comfortable, but we need that fucking data because who knows how many other women under the age of 30 could actually get colon cancer. And we might, there's something... And again, we are two white women talking about that. I know it's a whole different and a whole worse situation and scenario when you come to women of color, black women, black men. So I know that we are somewhat in a privileged position. But that when she said that, like the gender data gap is real and it leaves women chronically misunderstood, mistreated and misdiagnosed, really hit something. Which I feel is like the thing that I want to keep in mind whenever people this the femtech space and say do we actually need it yeah we do actually because there's a there's a whole data set that's missing that's the end of this episode thank you for listening and if you do feel inclined to do so please give us a review this is absolutely what will help us grow thank you